So uh, we're continuing on with our series on Revelation. This is week 30. Um, I have to tell you, this has really been interesting because you guys know, just like last week, I don't really like talking to you about money. I also don't like the fact that Revelation makes me talk about politics. So it's a bit of a turn of providence that this passage comes Sunday after the midterm elections, and I didn't plan it that way. Um, But this passage is full of encouragements and warnings about being too invested in this world, its treasures, its powers, and its system. So I'll start today with a little personal vulnerability about my own personal political journey over the last decade. As recently as eight years ago, I was really distracted by American politics. My obsession with our government could have easily become an idol. I allowed my politics and who I voted for and what policies I wanted, I allowed those things to get conflated with my view of what kingdom work was. But through others, God began to show me how political obsession was beginning to compromise my kingdom loyalty. Let me say it again. My political obsession was beginning to compromise my kingdom loyalty. And passion and energy for the Great Commission was being siphoned away by passion and energy for elections and headlines and congressional votes and redistricting and gerrymandering and tax codes and all those things. And also what happened was I began to confuse patriotism. Listen, I began to confuse patriotism with godliness. I made politics a frontline spiritual battle instead of the real battle, which is the Great Commission. And so no matter your politics, don't make the mistake of confusing politics with loyalty to the kingdom of God. There's nothing wrong with loving America. I love America. There's nothing wrong with political engagement. There's nothing even wrong with working in government. But you must keep it in its place. And here's why. While government is subject to God's sovereign plan, no government makes the gospel its priority ever, except for one, and that is the government that will be upon his shoulders when he returns. So today's passage is a sober truth that every government since the fall of Adam and Eve is influenced by evil. Yes, even the governments that you might like. Here's the passage. The dragon stood on the sea, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads and ten crowns on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. The beast I saw was like a leopard. And I want you to notice I've highlighted, italicized, and underlined the word its. Fourteen times it recurs. The beast I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. To it, the dragon gave his power, throne, and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. The whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. They worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? The beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. There's just three and a half years again. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. It was allowed to make war on the saints to conquer them. 
Authority was given to it over every tribe, people, language, nation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the land who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Does that phrase sound familiar? If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for endurance and faith of the saints. We will read verses 8 through 10 a little bit more later because they're important. I want you to look at historically what we see with this passage. And all this comes right from the book of Daniel. It's Daniel's beast. So when the dragon could no longer kill Jesus, and we've talked about that the last few weeks, a little bit of review here. He couldn't kill Jesus. He couldn't kill the line of Jesus. And he couldn't kill the woman, which was the early first century church. Last week's passage told us that the dragon turns his anger toward her offspring, the church, which is us. And John is writing to followers of Jesus during a very brutal time of persecution in Rome under Domitian. And immediately, John's Jewish Christian audience knew that this vision that he describes was undeniably linked right to Daniel's prophetic vision. Matter of fact, let's read some of it today. Daniel chapter 7, 2 through 6. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. Four great beasts came up out of the sea. Sound familiar? Different from one another. The first was like a lion, the second like a bear. And behold, another like a leopard. Doesn't that sound familiar with what we just read? So you can see, right, the connection is undeniable. The sea, the leopard, the bear, and the lions all have the same symbolism. The link is clear. And anyone trying to interpret, this is important. Anyone trying to interpret this passage without Daniel 7 open right next to it has zero chance of getting it right. See, there are some preachers and pastors even in America who say we don't need the Old Testament, just the New Testament. They are completely wrong. We need the Old Testament. It's precious. It guides us to understanding what Jesus is teaching us in the New Testament. Also notice, when Daniel describes his beast, he describes him from first to last. John describes him going from last to first in order. It's kind of an interesting little point. So rising from the sea. So in Jewish culture, the sea symbolized a place where destruction or danger or the unknown resided. And like a powerful storm rolling in, unknown huge creatures... Invading navies, great unknown vastness and danger. And the image of the dragon on the shore summoning up this beast from the depths would invoke these emotions of, oh my goodness, this is something unknown. This is something we can't control. This language would create in the readers a sense of awe. Hey, listen, pay attention. There's danger unfolding. You need to beware. So the first thing we see is there's Daniel's first three beasts. So reading John's descriptions, they would immediately know that John was referring to Daniel's beast. The lion ends up being Babylon, an actual empire. The bear ends up being Persia, another invading empire. And the leopard represents Greece, three empires who conquered and persecuted Israel. Daniel's vision, as I said, lists them in order, and John reversed them. Because of this clear link to Daniel, John's readers know this, that the beast represents not people, but empires and the power that lies behind them. John's readers knew that this was not talking about any person, a leader, 
or the Antichrist. But they represented, represented three historic invading world empires, and I'll get to more later as to why we know that for certain. Daniel's fourth beast is also in his vision. He describes this more destructive, more powerful beast that is able to conquer the other three. Look at what it says in Daniel chapter 7, verse 7 to 8. This is a little bit longer, but you need to read it. After this, I saw in night visions a fourth beast, terrifying, dreadful, exceedingly strong, with iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. In other words, the other empires. It was different from all the beasts before it. It had ten horns. Behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. Behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. The fourth beast is clearly a new empire, right? If we look at it in context, if the first three are empires, we know the fourth one has to be the same thing. It's clearly a new empire greater than the other three, greater than any empire that ever existed before. What does that sound like? Rome. So that's the history. That's the concepts and the background that John's readers would be hearing. Look at the theological part of our passage today. I want to talk about this perpetual beast. See, this vision on its own can be confusing, right? The lion, the leopard, and the bear, and the horns, and the crowns, and the heads, and the sea. Well, luckily for us, Daniel gives us an exact, strict interpretation. See how you need the Old Testament? Like, if you try to read Revelation without Daniel's interpretation, you're lost. Look what he says in Daniel chapter 7, verse, starting in verse 16. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me, well, I'm glad, aren't you? <laughs> These four great beasts are four kings who shall rise out of the earth. Then I, desired, then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying. And about the ten horns on its heads and the other horn that came up. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom. Kingdom on earth. Different from all the kingdoms. It shall devour the whole earth, trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise. And another shall arise after them. And he shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. That doesn't sound good. And shall think to change the times and the law. In other words, change God's plan and God's truth. The saints shall be given into his hands for a time, times, and half a time. There's this symbolic 42 months, which remember I taught you, it symbolizes a time where God's people are in exile or in persecution or in captivity. That's what it represents, this tribulation age. Knowing what the first three beasts represented, John's readers quickly understood Daniel's fourth beast is Rome. They understood, and this must have been sort of terrifying for them, but also exciting. You know, sometimes we think we're living in all this revelation stuff. Actually, they knew they were. They understood they lived with that fourth beast. They were living in the tribulation. Remember, John says, we're partners in this tribulation, this 42 months, this symbolic three and a half years. We're in this tribulation that Daniel describes. But then also we see that there is a specific power that is behind it, the beast. See, what John does is he rolls all four of Daniel's beasts into one big beast, 
revealing how although they look different, they happen at different times, they're really all the same. No matter what any government in history looks like, this is what we learn from this, the dragon has and always will control them. More on this later. Remember I told you the word it was in there? I highlighted it for you. I don't know if you noticed when I was reading Daniel, it was also in there. The word it occurs 14 times in our Revelation passage and several times in Daniel's vision as well. So here's what I can tell you about that. We believe that scripture is important and it's accurate. Trying to interpret the beast as a who requires you to ignore 14 its. The dragon is the who. The beast is the it. The beast is the dragon's most effective weapon against the woman's offspring, us, the church. From its mouth come lies, deceptions, blasphemies. Remember the river of lies we talked about last week from the dragon's mouth? Bam, there they are. Everything the beast says and does is so influential... The inhabitants of the world worship the beast and see it as our hope. Remember last week, Jesus said, the beast will be so strong, the lies of the false prophets will be so big, they could possibly deceive if they were allowed, even the elect. Everything the beast does is all the inhabitants of this earth have as hope. But then there's this beast resurrection. What are you going to do with that, Pastor Joe, huh? Well, we're going to give it a shot, all right? So John describes one particular head of it, the beast, as suffering this mortal wound. And it dies, but then it comes back to life. Since we know the beast can't be an individual, right? It, 14 times and then seven times in Daniel. It's clear this isn't a reference to the Antichrist trying to mimic the resurrection of Jesus on the cross. That's not what this is. Some take that interpretation, good brothers and sisters, but I believe they're wrong on that. John is actually, historically speaking, a little more history for you, I'm sorry to say, but I have to give you this. John is actually using a contemporary urban legend during their time as a metaphor to teach how the beast will always be in this world. So when Nero committed suicide in 68 AD, I don't know if you know this, it was a very popular urban legend that he would come back to life and lead Rome again. Everybody believed that. Oh, sure, he committed suicide, but he did that. He's coming back. Later in chapter 13, we'll learn this next week, Nero is actually specifically referenced. This gives more credence to this interpretation. He's referenced with the number 666. It's not a stamp on your forehead or your, your, your palm. It is actually, get this, the number 666, when you take Nero's name in Hebrew letters that, can, that go with the numbers, it's 666. Six, six. This was a game that many people played during those days, and we'll look at that more next week, but it's actually 666 are the Hebrew letters that spell Nero's name. So we know there's a reference to Nero in this chapter. So when Nero died, trust me, Rome was in crisis. It seemed the empire would collapse upon itself because of the chaos, but it didn't. Another emperor came. And each time an emperor died, the church was hopeful. Maybe this is the end of the tribulation. But it wasn't. The tribulation persisted, and so did Rome. Other emperors rose again and again, and it seemed like Rome would never end. Who can fight the beast? Who can fight Rome? 
See, John is teaching them, whether it's Nero or Rome or some other empire, the beast will always be here until Jesus returns. The beast's resilience is so influential. All who dwell on the earth, that's another metaphor for unbelievers, worship it. Who can fight it? So that's the history and the theology. That's deep stuff, and I flew by, but I hope you're following here what the beast is. Let's look at the personal section today. You guys can click it forward for me. I'm having a little trouble there. Um, I've called this section the beast today. Let me see if I can click it now. This was the sermon preview. Never put hope in any earthly government. That's the devil's bait. Keep your hope in the kingdom of heaven. So I look back on my, some of my other sermon previews, and I realize, uh-oh, there's a little bit of a theme with them. <laughs> Don't hope in the world, hope in the kingdom. It seems like, like the last four or five have been sort of like that. I thought each week, I was thinking, man, this is a very creative sermon preview. <laughs> no, it's pretty much like the one the week before, just a few extra words. So Revelation 13 reveals what all earthly governments are. And how Christians should interact with them. This beast isn't one nation. It's not one system. It's not one government or even one person. It is every government system throughout history under the dragon's control. Let me explain it to you this way. If Putin died tomorrow, or if President Xi was gone, or the Ayatollah was no longer around, or if the president you like or dislike isn't, in here, isn't here anymore, that won't stop the beast. That won't change the beast's goal. Because another head on the beast will always arise again. And America, as great as she is, and I love my country, I'm so thankful that God has allowed me to be an American, so I'm a patriot. As great as she is, America is also part of the beast. Even if your favorite political team wins, it's still the beast. <laughs> Can you see if we aren't careful how our desire for the American dream can make us vulnerable to the powerful lies and deceptions of the beast? Nothing wrong with the American dream. But the dragon can use the beast to create illusions of peace, illusions of prosperity and success. He does all of that for one reason, to come after the church. What? You think the dragon, I mean, think about this. You think the dragon is afraid that your favorite politician is going to get into power? Boy, if that guy gets elected, I'm in trouble. <laughs> like some politician can tame the beast? Child, please. <laughs> I've been wanting to say that for months. I just want that in there. So listen, when you think of government that way, hope and prosperity and all those things which are great that we love, that's the beast being the beautiful, deceptive, sweet talker. It's the illusion of winning and the allure of false hope. But the beast can also be ruthless, dehumanizing, intimidating, bloody, and tyrant, full of rage, demanding loyalty through fear. That's also the beast. See, here's what you need to understand, church. This is important. The beast can be whatever it needs to be through promise of fear or to gain your loyalty and allegiance through promises of prosperity. 
So the last part of today's passage is our personal application, its instructions, and its warnings. Verses 8 through 10. All who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. So those who worship it are those who aren't followers of Jesus. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. We've heard that all throughout Revelation in the letters, right? Chapters 2 and 3. That means if you have the ability to hear the gospel and understand it. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. I'll explain that. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. I'll explain that. But look at this. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. All who dwell on the earth, those who are not written in the book of life, they will live as either captives or slain victims. If they're motivated by promises of prosperity, they're captives. If they are fighting against the government for fear of death, the beast has them under, beast has them under complete control as well. But those with ears to hear, written in the book of life, we are encouraged to endure and stay faithful. Don't put your hopes in any beast. Don't become a captive to its promises of prosperity or rail against the beast out of fear, becoming its victim with the sword. Romans 13.1, this is a problem. This passage that Paul writes, it's a problem. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, i.e. the beast. What? Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. See, this is the difficult mystery of living with the beast controlled by the dragon, yet still under God's sovereign authority. Remember when Jesus said, they asked him, hey, Jesus, what should we do about taxes? Surely you're against taxes, right? You're a small government guy, Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus says what? Render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But it was more than just about taxes. He was using taxes to teach an even broader truth. It's not just about taxes, but it's submission to authority. So how do we rectify that? It's the beast. Submitting to the beast. What? Look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of the wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. There's a dichotomy, isn't it? <laughs> See, living faithfully in this wilderness alongside this beast isn't an easy thing for followers of Jesus to do. The dragon's beast is always actively trying to deceive, distract, or destroy the woman's offspring, us, the church. And to be faithful and endure, as we are commanded in verse 10, we must be shrewd and wise, not foolish, obnoxious, arrogant, judgmental, or rebellious. To be faithful, we also cannot be mindless lemmings going along with whatever the beast says is good. We must be full of wisdom to keep the beast from distracting us from our first loyalty, the kingdom of heaven, and our second loyalty, one another. So we live as doves alongside the beast, obeying the laws, 
honoring authority as good citizens, with some exceptions. If the beast stops our proclamation of the gospel, or if the beast tries to force us to compromise our integrity, or forces us to worship something other than Jesus, that's a different story. But I got news for you. I don't, it's not happening here in America. It happens a lot other parts of the world. Our brothers and sisters in Christ and other places, they are under constant siege. You understand, like, America is a little bit of a, an unusual exception to the rule for now. But I do believe America has a lot of people that are being led captive by the promises of hope and prosperity. Look at this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. Live as people who are free. I underline that and bold that for a reason. It's important to understand what Peter is saying. Remember who Peter's writing to, by the way? He's writing to Christians who are under severe persecution from Nero. He wants to kill them. And he says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but live as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God and honor the emperor. You know what Peter means by living as people who are free? He means free from the useless burden of beast worship. And free from the useless burden of beast fear. Today, perhaps some of you or some of us in our own church, like I have in the past, either side of the aisle, not this aisle, I mean the political aisle. <laughs> Maybe we're too focused on the beast sometimes. Because today, it's possible that the beast is succeeding in distracting you. Maybe you're too invested in fighting the beast. Or maybe you're too invested in buying into the beast. Maybe you're being tempted to be captive or victim of the sword. Have you put too much hope in the success or failure of a government, a president, or an economic system, all of which represent heads on the beast? As Christians, yes, we can love our country. I want to make sure you understand that. Let me say it again. Yes, we can and should love our country. Yes, we can and should be good citizens. Yes, we can and should vote. Yes, we can and should pray for our leaders. Yes, we should obey the laws as Peter told us. <clears throat> In fact, if God has called you, you can even work within government for the sake of advancing the kingdom. As long as, listen carefully, you are both shrewd and peaceful. Are you hearing me? Shrewd and peaceful. But no earthly government, ours included, can ever deliver on true hope. Only the kingdom of heaven can. Christian, listen to John and listen to Peter. We are free from that pointless, feckless way of life. We don't have to live that way. Worshiping the beast, fretting over the beast, anxiety over the beast. Who's going to win? Who's going to lose? What law are they going to pass? Supreme Court, local courts, local politicians, all that stuff. We are called to live with wisdom alongside the beast. With our loyalty to Jesus and the kingdom 
of heaven and each other. Why? Because we know we are waiting for Jesus to return. And when he does, here's what I can tell you. He's the one that will smash the beast and form a new government. Amen? Amen. That's the one with hope. Dear Jesus, we confess to you sometimes we are too distracted. The promises of the beast are even the threat of the beast. But we know that through the gospel, we don't have to live that way anymore. We can live free. Lord, I pray for those here that just as I was and sometimes still do today, for those of us that might be struggling with this whole beast thing, living alongside of it, how to be shrewd and also how to be peaceful. Give us wisdom, give us discernment, bring people in our lives to hold us accountable. And Lord, help us to understand the balance between being a good American citizen and voting and being involved and praying for our leaders and all those things, but at the same time, making sure our loyalty is you first, not America first. Lord, this is a very hard, challenging struggle. So we're going to have to trust your spirit, the great comforter, to guide us and direct us. And no matter what happens in an election, whether our side wins or our side loses, help us to recognize it's all just the beast. <laughs> but you are the king of kings. Can you come soon? <laughs> In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I love you guys.